Welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we are going to be reviewing the very good book, Augustine, Conversions to Confessions by Robert Lane Fox. Robert Lane Fox is a scholar of early Christianity. He also wrote the book, Pagans and Christians. I have that book and I'll read it and I'll try to do a review of that as well. But he really understands the early dynamics in Christianity, what was going on in the state of, in this case, in this book, 4th century Christianity. And so, although this book is centered around Augustine, he really understands how early Christianity operates, and he will illustrate that for you. For example, the lack of general information about theology that was pretty widespread in Christianity. So when people today, they talk about what you need to believe to be saved, and then they add in all these things that aren't very explicit from the Bible. You know, for hundreds and hundreds of years, Christians just had no access to this theology. They believed all sorts of crazy and divergent things. And it's just interesting how people today think that theology was defined and standardized, especially in the time of Augustine. It just just wasn't. And this book will help illustrate those concepts. So everyone should get this book. You could get it for free if you sign up for Audible. So if you have an Amazon account, add Audible. It'll give you three free tokens over a course of three months, one each month. And the first one you want to use is on this book, Augustine Conversions to Confessions. Because this will really tell you, give you an understanding of the Platonic influences in Christianity and how Christianity was corrupted with Platonism. This book will help dispel notions such as Augustine was the innovator of this Platonic Christian hybrid. No, there, there were precursors to Augustine. Although for modern influence, he is the prime mover. Before we get started, a couple notes. I'm going to try to be in my podcast adopting the more, I would say, Ivy League, the more scholarly pronunciations of names. Instead of Augustine, Augustine, instead of Platonism, Platonism. No one knows how these things were pronounced. No one lived back then to have a tape recorder. So pronunciation, when people are pretty much sticklers on that, it's all just very pedantic stuff. But if you want to be looked at as scholarly, you got to adopt their pronunciations, even though it doesn't matter. There's actually a paper that was circling around on Facebook a little bit. And what's the proper way to pronounce Augustine or Augustine? And it went through the various ways. And then what was the ultimate conclusion? That we don't really know what the proper pronunciation was. And just kind of use the one you want. The more scholarly one is Augustine. Surprise, surprise, right? Augustine, Conversions to Confessions, really takes Augustine's actual book, Confessions, and goes through it chapter by chapter, just adding a ton of detail and talking about what is meant and what is said and what's happening in the Confessions. And if anyone wants to read the actual book of Confessions, my advice is, unless you're really interested in Augustine and his Platonism, just, just skip his book because it is amazingly pretentious. I mean, this is styled as this long prayer to God, and it's incredibly long-winded. The paragraphs just say the same things over and over, and it's just filled with a lot of fluff. And he talks about, like, for example, in his first chapters, being a baby and developing his skills and 
And it's just so very pretentious. You just want to punch Augustine in the face. I mean, if this was a prayer to me, I would probably have just struck him dead like halfway through. Just utter trash. So read Confessions if you're just really interested about his original direct statements. Just talking about his general love of Platonism. Augustine, he loved Platonism. That was his conversion to Christianity, was his conversion to Platonism. If you want those original statements, then go to Confessions. But if you just want an overview of what it's about and what he's talking about and additional details about it, read this book instead, Augustine, Conversions to Confessions. Because it will go through and it will eliminate the fluff and I'll talk about a lot of Augustine's misunderstandings and I'll give a lot of background. And if you don't know the background of what Augustine's talking about, if you don't know what Manichaeism is, if you don't know what Platonism is, you're going to misunderstand a lot of what Augustine writes about. And what this book does, Augustine Conversions to Confessions, is it has a couple chapters that are really excellent about detailing the, just the general ideas of Manichaeism and of Platonism, entire long chapters where you could get a really good overview of what these religions said and did. Manichaeism is important because it was a competing Christian sect. And this sect was made by Manny, and Manny considered himself a Christian. But what he did is he took the Bible and he took the writings of Paul especially, and he grabbed out anything he liked and discarded anything he doesn't like. Does that remind anyone of anyone today? Eh, maybe. That's, that's what these uh, Gnostic sects tended to do. This is what these uh, people tend to do. They, they, they focus on the writings of Paul because they could take the writings of Paul and make it more mystical than they really are. And so they, they just discard the rest of the Bible that they are not very concerned with. Yeah, basically like modern-day Calvinists, if you guys haven't figured it out. Calvinists do this. They focus on the writings of Paul, and they discard large swaths of the Bible that they just don't agree with. But the Manichees, these guys were insane. These guys were just banana bonkers nuts. And Augustine was a hearer. Yeah, he was... He was a hearer, so you have the hearers, and then you have the elect, and the hearers serve the elect, and you're not a full elect if you're just a hearer because you haven't conformed to their lifestyles. And he was a hearer for nine years, so he believed this utter garbage nonsense for nine years. And just understanding, listening to what the teachings of Manny were, you'll understand that you're not a very bright person if you're a Manichaean. So Robert Lane Fox has a chapter devoted to who Manny was, the spread of the Manichaeism, the persecution of the Mannies, and also he describes their theology, their teachings. And I'm going to give you guys just a basic overview of the Manichae religion so you guys could kind of understand how terribly insane it was. In Manichaeism, it's a dualistic religion. There's the forces of good against the forces of evil. And this is why it appealed to Augustine quite a lot, because it explained the presence of evil in the world. Evil is a necessary, integral, and permanent part of the world. And you got these two kingdoms, and they're forever fighting each other. And so the kingdom of light tries to defeat the kingdom of darkness, and some of the light is captured. And the kingdom of light has to reclaim that light. And so they capture some demons, and they cut up the demons, and they make the world out of these demons. 
the demons have some stored light in them. And so the material world, you know, it has some light in it and it has some dark in it. And the sun is a, a second order light being, a light God that they, they pray to and worship because that represents light. And then the stars are just a spattering of, of demons that were cut up. And Manichaeism explains the day and night cycle by this fighting of the good and evil. And this also appealed a lot to Augustine because no other religion basically explained the day and night cycle, why the universe was the way it was. But Manichaeism had this complex theory of why everything was the way it was. And so what the light does to try to reclaim some more light is it puts images of naked people in the sun, naked boys and naked girls, and then all the demons. And this is where it gets kind of weird and disgusting. Uh, they, they, they ejaculate at the sun and, and all the, this stuff, it falls all over the earth and it spawns all the plants that we have today. So all the plants are vestiges of this captured light. The light also causes these female demons who are pregnant to have abortions, basically, and their abortions fall to earth, and they spawn all the animals. So all the animals, since the demons weren't impregnated before they caught the, captured the light, all the animals on earth represent darkness, and the only light that the animals on earth have in them is through the plants that they eat. So the Manichees they would not eat meat. They didn't like eating meat because that represented the darkness and there's very little light in it. The goal of the elect was to eat as many plants as possible and then release the light to the ultimate light source. And what they would, how they would do this is they would fart and pee and poop and have bodily excretions. They'd eat a bunch of plants and then they go around pooping everywhere, not in the water, because that would de desecrate the water, that would destroy the water, and it would spread the light up. They had to poop on the land, and this would be, release the light back to the ultimate light source. So think of like a major scam in today's religions. That's what this is. You got all these hearers, and the hearer's job is to financially support the elect and to feed the elect. And the elect's job is to sit around eating vegetables and fart and pee and stuff like that release the light back to its light source. This is their actual religion. This is the religion that Augustine belonged to for nine years. Absolute crazy nuts. One feature that Manichaeism held in common with Christianity at large and a lot of Platonic cults is that it disdained sex. Sex was an act of the world of darkness. So anyone who was a Manichae, they couldn't have sex. And the Christians, they really liked this idea. There were Jerome, if anyone's familiar with who Jerome was, he's considered this grand church father. He was a scam artist that would just go around Rome, finding rich widows and trying to convert them to celibacy. And then he'd take these letters and write them to these rich widows. And he'd just circulate them. He'd make a bunch of copies and circulate them. So he was involved in advertising for his own name to try to make his name more famous than other competing Christians. And he was trying to get himself embedded in the Roman elite. So it's, it's all a scam and it's all nonsense and it's all crazy. And Jerome wasn't this great figure, this great teacher. He was this guy that was going around and trying to create political connections and try to use scandal to his own advantage 
to build his own name up. And this is probably why he did have some conflicts with Augustine, because Augustine would represent a threat as a, a main speaker, a main contender for Christianity. These guys were all petty. These guys were all scam artists. And he went around and he ruined these ladies' lives. He converted them to celibacy. And why is celibacy the goal? Is because Platonism was widespread. The idea was that sex was evil and sex was wrong and sex would take us away from the perfect life. And we had to be aesthetics and we had to live the pure life and we had to live alone in the desert and die in the desert. This stuff is not Christianity. And this stuff was widespread and everyone was believing this nonsense. And everyone thought that the conversion to celibacy was the greatest thing possible. Is that a biblical concept? Where's this concept coming from? Early Christianity in the time of Augustine was overwhelmingly not Christian. It's not Christian. These are not Christian ideas. And this is the main forces in Christianity. These are what people believe, the church fathers believe, church fathers that are celebrated in today's world. This is the nonsense they believed. Augustine describes his conversion away from Manichaeism. And does everyone think this is like a scripturally based conversion? He read the Bible and then and he's inspired. No, Manichaeism isn't true. Now I'll become a Christian. That is not what happened. That is not what happened. He had friends who were Platonists and they talked to him about the incorruptible, unchangeable God. And then he accepted that. That's his conversion away from Manichaeism into Christianity was a Platonism. And so he studied Platonism. He read Plotinus, and then he attempted intellectual ascent to the intellectual realm. And what Platonism was, is this religion in which God is this incorporeal, immutable, eternal, ineffable substance in this the divine realm. It's called the realm of the one. And then you have lesser realms. you got the intellect where all the forms, all the perfection of everything has representation. And that also is a timeless realm. And then you have the material world, the world of the soul. And you have people on earth who have light in them. They have stuff that had descended from this realm of the forms. And what a Platonist would do is they would use introspection and meditation to try to return to the one. They tried to return to the intellectual realm through this inward meditation. And Augustine has a meditation experience in accordance with Platonism, and he becomes obsessed with Platonism. So his conversion away from Manichaeism wasn't a biblically-based conversion. It was a conversion to Platonist concepts based on a Platonist metaphysical experience of introspection and ascension of the soul to the platonic realm. Here's a couple clips for you guys about Augustine's experience and what he learned from his introspective ascents to the one. Augustine, by contrast, saw a blazing light quite separate from himself. He was not permeated by it or reunited with it. What did it mean? He assumed immediately that it was absolute truth. At once I would more easily doubt that I was alive than I would doubt that this absolute truth existed. Manifestly, he is not introducing this notion long after the event. He had not been united with this light, but he had made some crucial discoveries. God, or divinity, is absolute and transcendent. 
He is both superior to and within the deepest recesses of our inner spiritual being. The Manichaean idea was that there's these two spiritual realms, whereas the Platonic idea was that the spiritual realm was this ineffable, absolute realm. So while the Manichaeans, they had a spiritual realm, it wasn't spiritual in the same sense of Plotinus's ineffable realm, the realm of the one, or even the lesser realm of the ideas in where it's perfect and unchanging. And Augustine adopted the Platonistic ideas from his ascents. This experience led to new knowledge, not to some mystic gift of tongues. Thanks to it, Augustine realized, as never before, that there was an immaterial God beyond him, absolute, transcendent, eternal, and unchanging. This God was infinite, but infinite otherwise than he had previously thought. God, he realized, was infinite in power, not space. When he then looked at the world around him, he understood that the world's being was relative to God's. The world existed, but in comparison with God, it did not. Whereas God is unchangeable, the world is changeable. Necessarily, it changes in time. This comparison between the time-bound world and immutable God will recur often in his writings, not least at the end of the Confessions. Augustine's ascents gave him the notion, gave him the belief in this holy, transcendent, negative theology God, a God that's eternal and immutable, outside of time, ineffable, the one. In Platonism, this is the one. This is not a biblical concept. This is not Yahweh. This is not the Yahweh who suffers, who deals with people, who, who interacts on behalf of people, who changes his mind. This is an ineffable outside of time, transcendent God that doesn't interact with the universe. This is how Augustine literally formed his ideas about God. It is in a book called Confessions. He's confessing that he learned about God through Platonism, and then he took this Platonist notion, and then he imposed it onto the Bible. That's how they did theology. They formed their notions about God. They formed their philosophical concepts. And then they looked to the Bible, and then they grabbed out little phrases here and there that fit what they want to believe. And if you read Confessions, that's what it does throughout the book of Confessions, is it grabs these little snippets from all around the Bible and pulls them out of context and tries to use them in a sense that they were never intended to portray. Augustine continually praises Platonism throughout all his works, throughout Confessions, throughout the city of God, throughout all his works, he, he exclaims how great Platonism is. And people who don't think that he was a committed Platonist, they're out of their minds. They don't know what they're talking about. And they're not Augustinian scholars. They just are illiterate when it comes to how Augustine formulated his beliefs. Augustine, in his confessions, states that Ambrose's sermons and Ambrose was the Bishop of Milan, and he was deep into the Platonism, the Platonist Christians, and Origen. Origen was a Platonist Christian as well, so people who try to defend Origen as a, just a normal Orthodox Christian, they don't know what they're talking about. They need to read him, and they need to understand Platonism, and understand he was a committed Platonist. And Ambrose really liked these Platonist Christians, and Ambrose told Augustine, that the Bible is to be read in light of Platonism. The word kills, but the spirit gives life, which means 
don't read the Bible literally. And Augustine's problem when he was a kid is he'd always read the Bible literally. So he had no interest in the Bible because he thought it was all nonsense, all bogus. He couldn't believe the Bible because he couldn't believe any of the stories that were told in the Bible. He didn't believe the Bible. But he is told by his bishop, by this famous bishop in Christianity, that we shouldn't take the Bible seriously and we should actually just take the Platonists, them seriously. That's how we come to Christianity is through Platonism plus some elements of Christianity, Jesus. You know, Ambrose, he was good friends with Simplicanus. Simplicanus talked to Augustine about the same stuff. Simplicanus was a friend of Victorinus, who was a Latin translator of the works of the Neoplatonist Plotinus. Plotinus was the major Platonist thinker of those days that influenced Ambrose, Simplicanus, and Augustine. And Augustine really got in heavy with Plotinus's pupil, Porphyry, as well. He read all these works. He digested them. He loved these works. They are more important to him than the Bible. So he believed the Platonists, and then he added on Christian elements and called himself a Christian. Within this book, within Augustine, Conversions to Confessions, there are two chapters that are really important. There's the chapter on Manichaeanism, and there's even a chapter on Platonism. And understanding Platonism will allow people to understand Augustine's writings. Not only Confessions, but all his other writings in which he incorporates the ideas of the Platonists. Augustine preached sermons to farmers on the ascension to the spiritual realm. How to meditate inwardly to ascend to a spiritual realm. These are his Christian sermons to farmers. So let's understand a little bit about Platonism. I'll play you a few clips of that as well. Instead, the one's love for itself is a mark of its essential simplicity. Nonetheless, a trio of love, power, and being is present in the one which is boiling with creative power, like a vibrant rhythm or a fountain. By a sort of overflowing, it continually brings about lesser entities, but it has not the slightest personal interest in anything which it causes to exist. The first of the supranormals in the succession from it is intellect, which takes its nature from the one. Plotinus describes intellect as turning back towards the one in a sort of pause which makes it being, and also looking towards the one in a gaze which makes it intellect at one and the same moment. Plotinus meant that by looking at the one, this entity thinks about the one, and so intellect is in existence. At the same time, thinking involves a duality, both a thinker and an object of thought, and so, beyond the duality which is intellect, there must also be a single, simple one. Like Plato's, Plotinus' upper universe is eternal. Time does not yet exist in it, a point which Augustine grasped well, developing it at the end of the Confessions when he interprets the first chapters of Genesis. When Plotinus writes about intellect, thinking, or gazing, he appears to use words which presuppose time. We think one thing after another, and when we gaze, we see what we did not see before. Perhaps he means only that these activities recur constantly. He also describes being, or intellect, as desiring or loving the One. This love is not sought or reciprocated by the One, but it is impressed like a trace onto intellect. In Plato's heaven, the ideal forms were static and abstract forms of beauty, shape, and so forth. 
In Plotinus, they have parts of intellect and are thinking actively. They think about their interrelationships, but they are also pulsating with love. Plotinus' heaven is vibrant and alive. From intellect, soul exists, proceeding from intellect, contemplating it and desiring, also with love. At two removes from the one, soul has less of a trace of the one, and so its thinking is not so concentrated. Soul's thinking, therefore, is accompanied by distracting activity. As a result, our visible world is brought into being, a spin-off of soul's thinking. Soul also reasons discursively, following one judgment or argument with another, and this sequential reasoning occurs in time. Timeless eternity is thus left behind. This is standard Platonism. So you have the, the one, and the one has an outpouring of goodness which creates the intellectual realm. The intellectual realm spawns itself by turning back to look at the one, and from that, the realm of the soul also descends because it's a little bit more distracted than the intellectual realm. And everyone on earth has been spawned by this realm of the soul. And each of us, each person has in them sparks of this intellectual realm, which we need to refocus to rejoin the intellectual realm. And we do this through meditation and an ascent to the spiritual realm. This is what Augustine believed. This is what he taught farmers to do. This is what he considered Christianity. And so when people think that the church is uncorrupted and all these councils, the Council of Nicaea, whatever, all these councils are valid councils that we should care about, absolutely not we should care about anything the early Christians said. They were all nut jobs. They all talked absolute nonsense. They were obsessed with all these extra biblical ideas. They were obsessed with celibacy. It's just absolutely not Christian. It is amazing how Christianity survived. And it's amazing that nowadays people have a little bit more reverence for the Bible. They actually care what the Bible says. And they actually want to try to use it. They're offended if you tell them that the Bible says stuff against them. They're offended. Whereas in the ancient days and Augustine's time, they would just discount it. They just say, oh, yeah, whatever. I don't care. We'll just take the pieces and bits that we want and like. And you might have a different reading of that. But you're wrong because we got this overriding systematic theology, this Platonism that, you know, we know is true because we have these mystical spiritual sense that tell us that these things are true. When you read the actual confessions of Augustine, he says all sorts of weird metaphysical stuff throughout. He says, oh, I saw this in my mind's eye. And normal Christians, they'll just read past these statements like, oh, he's just thinking about it. He is using meditation and ascension to learn these truths. He's using Platonism and Platonistic techniques. It's, it's not a Christian activity. It's not a Christian thing that's going on. And people will miss this if they just don't understand Augustine's mentality. And you encounter those people. I send people quotes from the confessions and they say, oh, that doesn't mean that. Oh, oh, great. Yeah, every single scholar on Augustine is wrong just because you have terrible reading comprehension skills about Augustine's love of the Platonists, his loves of ascensions to learn these spiritual truths. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. This book is really a tour de force 
to show the platonic influence and corruption of the Christian church. I mean, it was happening earlier than this. It was happening earlier than Augustine. It was happening earlier than Ambrose. It was happening even before Origen. But this book talks about these extreme influences and how little Christianity was actually in the Christian church. And so if anyone wants to understand the dynamics of what was going on in the time of Augustine, they need to read this book or understand at least where this book is coming from, what, what the sources are that are being drawn upon, and understand that this was a serious thing in early Christianity. And what this also tells open theists is that when Calvinists appeal to tradition, they are appealing to Platonism. It's a terrible, terrible argument to appeal to tradition when early Christianity was so corrupt and so utterly devoid of even basic biblical truths. I encourage everyone to right now go onto their Amazon account, add Audible, use a token, get this book for free, Augustine Conversions to Confessions. Listen to it, listen to it once, twice, three times, and ingrain in your head the state of early Christianity, the state of Platonistic influences, the state of extra-biblical influences, the popularity of stuff like Manichaeanism, which is absolute, utter garbage nonsense. It's like Scientology in early Christianity that, that people accepted in overwhelming numbers. Just understand that this is the normal way that the early church worked. It was all corrupt. Get the book. You won't be disappointed. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, feel free to put that on the God is Open webpage or start a thread on the God is Open Facebook companion page. Thank you for listening.